0: Let's now turn to John chapter 15, or 16, rather, and we'll read the whole chapter. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you that if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, What is this that he says? A little while. We do not know what he is saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. And he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See, now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our text this morning is uh, verse 33 of this chapter, where we have the words of our Savior, uh, words that he spoke uh, just moments before he entered the deepest suffering of his life. He had already entered that hour, that period of uh, unspeakable anguish that he would endure. He was about to go to Gethsemane and from there to Pilate's Judgment Hall and to the uh, Sanhedrin and to Golgotha. And when we remember that, uh, it is striking that uh, he speaks here with such composure and he speaks so so calmly. And he speaks of peace and of good cheer, even as he himself faced an anguish, uh, an anguish that is worse than anything that the world uh, could to give. Yet there's this calmness and there's this brightness uh, to his words. And he speaks clearly in anticipation of uh, victory to come. In fact, he speaks of conquest as if it was something that has already been achieved. It is so certain that he would overcome the world uh, that uh, he speaks of it in our text as something that is already accomplished. His words are devoted to the well-being of his little flock. Uh, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. And we can hear that also in the fact that uh, here at this uh late hour, uh, he is... Uh, showing that that self-denial and looking after the comfort and the, the well-being of his disciples. He's seeking to fortify them uh, for life in this world as he is about himself to suffer a cruel death. Before he turns to his father in prayer, uh, these are the last words before we enter into chapter 17 where we have his great high priestly prayer. But before he turns to his father, he again promises peace. A kind of peace that the world does not give. In fact, we might say it is a kind of peace that he gives despite what the world gives. Uh, from the world, we are told that we can expect tribulation. In the world, you will have tribulation. But in me, you may have peace. And that then leads us to our our theme which is Jesus assures us of peace in him despite unavoidable tribulation in this world. And though his words of course had special reference uh, to his disciples who uh, the apostles who indeed would experience what he describes in the opening words of this chapter that the time was coming when uh those who killed them literally would think that they did God's service. We you know that the disciples would all die a martyr's death except. Uh, for the apostle John but what he says here is true and applicable to Christians uh down through the centuries in Christ there is peace whereas in the world there is affliction and that leads us to consider our first point here and that is that he promises peace in difficult circumstances he speaks of tribulation it's a word that sometimes is rendered with the word affliction it involves facing trouble it involves involves suffering uh, distress. And Jesus tells his disciples to expect such things that will be part of their experience in this world. Uh, before his face we see, we uh, may experience weary ways as well as possibly golden days. Our life in this world is a mixture, but uh, affliction and trouble is unavoidable. And uh, so we are to expect a mixture of both, whatever our age may be. And at times we are to understand also that that affliction or trouble can be severe. In verse uh, uh, 21, the Lord Jesus speaks of sorrow. And again, the same word uh, for tribulation is used in in verse 21, describing a kind of anguish that is characteristic of a woman in labor, an anguish that will be followed with joy, but in the meantime, it involves suffering. And Jesus didn't hide uh, this from his disciples, nor did he minimize it, nor did he deny it, the way many false teachers in our day either ignore, minimize, or outright deny the fact that following Christ means suffering. And they want to present the false gospel that promises wealth and health. And your best life now. And we need to recognize this health and wealth, uh, so-called gospel is not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't, he didn't teach that becoming a Christian means that everything becomes better in every way. Rather, he talked about bearing a cross. He talked about the cost of discipleship. He is faithful in, uh, giving the comforts of his grace, but those are comforts that are necessary in view of the reality of of troubles and hardships in this world, Christians are not exempt from common sufferings that uh, that all people experience. Uh, this world is groaning as Romans eight says, under the, the the curse of sin, and so it will be until all things are are made new, and Christians are not exempt from the groanings of of creation. We might say literally uh, we're not exempt from the devastations caused by by earthquakes or by hurricanes or uh, such natural disasters that do not discriminate between God's people and others. And so often it's been the case throughout history that uh, Christians find that they are not immune to the ravages of warfare. They're not exempt from uh, bombs that are uh, sent uh, between warring nations. And we could go on, of course, to speak of the common illnesses, the common diseases and afflictions and accidents that are characteristic of God's people. We read Psalm 91 and it, it sounds as if, if you, if taken literally in every respect that Christians will be altogether spared every kind of affliction or trouble. Now, there are different layers of meaning to that Psalm that we don't have the time to, uh, to flesh out this morning, but, uh, even the Psalm itself promises that God will be with us in trouble. The psalm itself speaks of the reality of trouble in which we need uh, God's protecting care and the assurance of deliverance ultimately uh, is realized in the life to come. So there are common uh, tribulations that uh, Christians experience. Uh, grief over the loss of loved ones or... Facing loneliness or poverty or oppression, poverty and oppression. Uh, those things are not characteristic of our, our, our life and experience in this free country, although oppression can take place when, within doors, within a home. And uh, there are those who suffer from great financial uh distress and anxiety and concerns because of these common troubles. And these are the kinds of tribulations or afflictions that cry out for peace, the kind of peace that the world cannot provide, but the kind of peace that Christ can provide. And Christ does provide such peace. And then there are sufferings that are unique to Christians. And we sometimes sing, is this vile world a friend to grace to help us to God? And, of course, the answer to that question is no. It's a present evil world. That's the language of Scripture in Galatians. And that description of this world will be true until uh, we enter that new age to come. It is a present evil age, it could be rendered. We don't live with post-millennial dreams of a Christianized world where Christ is going to reign over all the nations and uh, we're going to enter some kind of spiritual utopia in this present age. No, this is a present evil age. And people are led by the prince of the power of this age. They're taken captive to do his will. He he is the spirit of the air who works in the sons of disobedience. It's a world that is hostile to our faith. Jesus compares uh, those who receive the word um, or the seed on shallow ground to those who receive the word, and they receive it with joy, but when they face tribulation or persecution on account of the word, immediately they stumble. And uh, affliction and testing uh, sometimes exposes the shallowness or, or the actual the lack of a genuine faith in Christ because it cannot endure hardship, and there are there are sufferings that are unique to following the Lord Jesus Christ and Paul says in second Timothy three verse twelve, but all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution Now that takes various forms and various forms of severity. Sometimes it may involve the, the milder forms of persecution, of ostracism or or uh the subtle uh ridicule that we might face in the workplace. And uh, uh from there on it can become far worse. It can it can involve uh overt exclusion or or abuse, even unto death. Add to that the fact that this world is a place of temptation. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, we have this brief reference to the sufferings of Jesus Christ in a way that connects temptation with suffering. It says, he suffered being tempted. His suffering involved the assault of the, of the wicked one. And uh, that's very comforting because uh, he can sympathize with his children as they uh, suffer temptation. And we may face temptation to despair. Or we may face temptation to immorality or to to give in to the the numbing kind of enticements of of a pleasure-seeking world. And if we find ourselves in a painful battle with temptation, if we find ourselves in a painful battle with sin... We can take comfort in the fact that the reason why we're involved in this battle is because we're not just succumbing to temptation and giving in to sin. We are involved in this warfare. Even as we fall, even as we fail in many ways, we can take comfort in the fact that this too is part of the tribulation of belonging to Christ and being special targets of Satan's hatred and having yet to contend with our sinful flesh doesn't mean that we're not Christians if we struggle and, and fail. That's part of the tribulation of striving against the flesh. It's part of the, the affliction of being a Christian. Satan and the world hates us as it hated our Savior. But Jesus sympathizes with us as we contend with these enemies. Enemies that we find within our own hearts as well as enemies that we confront without, and he is able, he is able to show mercy, and we need mercy, and he's able to help us in our time of need, because he's a faithful high priest, and he sympathizes with us as a strong mediator and savior. So these tribulations are far-reaching to physical, spiritual, uh, mental forms of trouble and anguish, but however far they reach, and however difficult they are, they're never out of the reach of the peace that Christ gives. And I thought as I was reviewing my notes, I thought, I wonder if would people hear me say such things, if they imagine that uh, that the minister lives on such a level where he always has peace, that he actually uh, lives up to the, the things that he preaches. Well, in a sense, I better, and you better too, if you're a Christian, live up to the word, But but none of us, Uh, fully enters into the full experience of the ideals of the Christian life and calling. Brothers and sisters, I'm preaching to myself. I'm trying to comfort myself as I repeat the truth of God's word, that there is peace in the midst of trials. And we never give up on seeking that peace and believing in it and looking to the Savior for more of it. So the fact that there is peace in Christ doesn't mean that, oh, this is an easy achievement no it's part of the christian struggle to live by the words of christ to repeat them to ourselves and that's what that's what preaching is it's it's proclaiming the word of god but the minister is himself proclaiming the word of god by which he lives which he needs so if I, if i say things that sound really uh, uh unrealistically idealistic and optimistic i'm saying them for myself so that i might learn to live up to them more and more along with you In the world you will have tribulation, but in me you may have peace, despite difficult circumstances, whatever they are. So we can still sing, I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by his word. And that leads us to consider that uh, this peace is through an abundant supply that is given through our Savior's words. Our text begins this way. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. And we might ask, well, well, what things? Well, we may go back specifically in this context and and go through this whole extended discourse that begins uh, at chapter 13. And the disciples, Jesus tells them, and we ourselves need only to take what he says there to heart. To, to remember it, to really believe it, to really find comfort in it, to find strength in it by returning to it again and again and again. Living on such words in order to face whatever lies before us, whatever lied before the disciples, whatever is before us in 2024. Let's just take a sampling of his peace-giving words. Now, we could go through almost every verse here, right? Throughout these wonderful chapters, and we ought to do that repeatedly. But as a sampling, we're reminded that our place in this world is only temporary. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So the tribulation of this world is passing. It's temporary. And Jesus teaches us of his Father's love. He assures us that the Father himself loves you. And that means that when we think of the mediator through whom our prayers are answered, it's not as if we have a reluctant God who is somehow begrudgingly persuaded to to give us his gifts of mercy because of Jesus. Jesus himself is God's great gift of love and mercy. The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believe that I came forth from God. And that's a basis for the assurance of, of answered prayer, or we can go back to the assurance of another comforter. We considered that yesterday in chapter 14, verse 16 and uh, 17 and 18. It's it's repeated here in the 16th chapter, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth: it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. The assurance of the Holy Spirit's presence, his working by his indwelling. The assurance that these disciples, despite their their weaknesses, despite their remaining sins and disloyalties, they're all going to abandon him within an hour or so. Despite it all, Jesus assures them, you are clean through the word which I have already spoken to you. They had received the word of life. They believed it. They were washed clean. They were accepted in God's sight through his grace. They are sure that tribulation itself comes from the hand of their father because they are like branches united to the vine. And the vine dresser is caring for them. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. The very purpose of Christ's calling and appointment ensures that uh, they will bear fruit. You have not chosen me. I have chosen you and appointed you so that you should bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. Oh, this is just a sampling. As I said, you could go through these, uh, these chapters and just, uh, find such wonderful, rich, peace-giving teaching from our Lord. But what we do see here is that peace in Christ is word-centered. We can't avoid the world. We can't avoid tribulation, but we, we may, and sometimes we are so foolish as to neglect the word. And in doing so, we rob ourselves of peace. Let's rather live in the word, shaping our thoughts. That's how the peace of God guards our hearts and minds, uh, through Christ Jesus. And we might say, well, yes, these words were spoken to the disciples, um, and they were champions of faith, you might say. They were going to conquer the world. They were going to face death well in a sense that's isn't that exactly the point it's like if these weak men could be so enabled by god's grace to face tribulation uh can we not also draw assurance from the promise of peace in the tribulations and troubles that uh, that we face peace through an abundant supply and then thirdly peace in an unfailing source that in me You may have peace in me, in Christ. These peace-giving words are from the living Christ, and they themselves, they direct us continually to him. He is personally the source of peace, and all true peace is found in union uh, with him, and it's found nowhere else. He is the world-conquering Christ. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Again, that's remarkable when you consider the context. It's like what he'll say in a few uh, verses later. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. He is anticipating those words that he will speak shortly when he says, it is finished. They are so certain. It's striking, isn't it, that uh, Jesus, when he arose from the dead and first appeared to his disciples... And it's recorded in in John's Gospel, in the 20th chapter. His words to them were, Peace to you. And then shortly after, on the same occasion, Peace to you. And then the next week, when he appeared to them again, his words were, Peace to you. He repeats the assurance, the promise of his peace as one who indeed had conquered death, who had risen victorious from the grave. We might say that as Christians, we live in two overlapping spheres or, or layers of reality. I know there's no comparison that actually fits uh, the, the, the wonderful situation in which we are as those who have uh, tasted of the powers of the age to come and those who live in these two worlds, so to speak. We live in this world, yes, and that means tribulation. But we live in this world as those who live in Christ who are already seated with him in the heavenly places by virtue of our union with him and the certainty of our participation in his saving work. That doesn't remove tribulation, but it means that our tribulation must continually be interpreted in Christ, experienced in Christ. And that means that tribulation need not uh, destroy or disturb our peace. It means that Tribulation is not somehow contrary to peace or incompatible with peace. In fact, the testimony of Christians often in suffering is that tribulation becomes the occasion in which to enter the experience of peace in Christ in a way that had not been known before, Or sometimes the spirit of God and the spirit of glory rests upon those who suffer for righteousness sake and Christ proves his faithfulness when it's so desperately needed in weakness and pain and abandonment and he makes his presence known in remarkable ways that's one edifying result of uh, reading about uh, the history of the martyrs and suffering christians in times past and uh yet today it can be admission into a kind of fellowship with christ a fellowship Uh, with his sufferings that the apostle Paul so valued. Sufferings can be a place where his strength is made perfect in weakness. And that is in Christ. In, uh, in the first epistle of John, in John, in John chapter five, we read of the victory that overcomes the world. And there it is uh, identified as our faith. It says, this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. What, What does that mean? How does that work? Is it because we have such willpower? Is it because we are so determined? Is it because we are so orthodox that our faith is unwavering? Well, the text goes on to say, Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? In other words, it's it's not our faith as an act of willpower or a resolute determination, but it's a faith that joins us with Christ the Lord, the Son of God, the one who overcame death, who defeated death and sin and hell for us, who did so by his tribulation, by his suffering on our behalf. And he now reigns over all things for us. And faith overcomes the world because it unites us to him. Think of what's said in Romans uh, chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So be of good cheer, brothers and sisters, and have a very, very happy new year. The year of our Lord, 2024. Amen.